Welcome to Addiction and the Family, Episode 18, Reflections on a Lifetime of Sobriety. How has addiction affected your family? It robbed me of my father. Addictions affected my family in absolutely every way. Um, it has caused a lot of turmoil. It goes back to what I understand is at least three generations. It robbed my daughter of her mother. It robbed my mother of her daughter. Addiction has made our family quite challenging. Addiction affected my family tremendously. Uh, it's affected my relationship with my sister where I wouldn't I'd go for months without talking to her. It's a very difficult thing for everybody involved. It doesn't just affect the, the one individual. It's a disease that affects the whole family. Addiction has spread not only genetically through like some of my uh, relatives and I assume ancestors. It's uh, generational. I think of him every day. Welcome to Addiction and the Family, a podcast by and for family members of anyone with an addiction. My name is Casey Ariaga and I'm a clinical social worker and addiction counselor at both Windmill Wellness Ranch and In Mind Out Emotional Wellness Centers in Texas. And I'm Kira Ariaga, addiction counselor intern and recovery coach at Windmill. Casey and I were in our addictions together for over 10 years and have now been in recovery together for almost twice that long. I've led hundreds of family workshops, but just as important is that Kira and I have lived the experience of being family to addiction as both children and adults. Join us as we offer experience, strength, and realistic hope about how you and your family can find recovery together. In this episode, we will hear from Arnold, a man with decades of recovery. He talks about his marriage and raising a family sober, and gives us perspective on how family members can best be involved in recovery. We'll hear his interview after a word from one of our sponsors. Addiction in the Family is brought to you in part by the generous support of Windmill Wellness Ranch, an innovative treatment center located in the beautiful hill country of Texas and serving clients and their families from throughout the United States. I'm Shannon Mollish, CEO of Windmill Wellness Ranch. We offer the best in neurotechnology to heal the brain and the best therapy to heal the mind. Call us today at 210-762-6217. Welcome back. I am thrilled to bring you this interview with someone who has been instrumental as a guiding light and mentor in my recovery. I first met Arnold almost 19 years ago in Los Angeles, and we've talked almost every week since then. We've both moved to different parts of the country and rarely see each other in person anymore, but his influence on my life and well-being are still strong, and it's hard to overstate how important he has been in my life. I also had the pleasure of knowing his wife, Lucy, with whom he shared marriage and recovery until she passed away about two years ago. Without further ado, let's hear that interview. Welcome to Addiction in the Family. Would you mind just briefly introducing yourself? I'm Arnold, and I'm a recovering alcoholic, and I have a couple other programs that I attend, which are sexual recovery and also Debtors Anonymous. You recently celebrated a recovery milestone. Can you tell us about that? Yes, uh, I received my 50-year chip in AA. I came into AA in 1971, February. Bill W. had passed away in January on the 25th. So I got sober in um, April 8th of that same year, 71, and uh, have been 
sober ever since. For me, it's not 50 years, it's another 24 hours. But for the newcomer, they should understand it is 50 years to give them hope that this program works and that we can stay sober throughout the rest of our life. That is powerful testimony and an amazing milestone. Let me take just a moment to say congratulations. Thank you. Now, what got you into recovery and what has kept you coming back? What got me into recovery was uh, the fact that my wife was frightened of my drinking and was not going to put up with it anymore. And so she informed me she was going to see a lawyer, at which point I pulled the car over to the side of the road and said, let's talk about that. And we ended up going to a minister that we knew, and uh, we had counsel with them. And um, my situation was so complex that it took him two whole minutes to say to me that there's an AA meeting here on Monday nights in the church, and uh, I'll put you in contact with somebody that is in AA and, uh, and get you started. Once I joined AA, it took a while for me to actually stop drinking. I've seen this in many people. It takes a while sometimes to actually stop drinking. But during this period of time, we're recording and uh, we're listening to things in the meeting. And finally, I had a very frightening accident. Ended up in the hospital overnight. Fortunately, I didn't get badly hurt. But when I called my wife in the morning, I just said, I had an accident, I'll be home. And I came home and I had completely given up trying to run my own life and started to get sober in AA. Before we move on, I'd like to ask you a question about that. You talked about joining AA and then taking a little while to stop drinking. This might be important for people who are new to recovery and also for family members to hear. You said this is a common thing. Can you talk about that? What would someone who's not familiar with these issues need to know about that? Because it might be easy for them to be puzzled. It happens quite often. Is it common? It might be. But I think uh, we have different ways of, of coming into the program and some get it instantly and, and some need a length of time in order to fully understand that they do need to stop drinking. So it's important for the family and, and the addict to recognize that there might be a period of time in which they don't stop drinking and the key items that are very important is number one getting to a good number of meetings per week second of all working the steps so it's important to look for those things that they're doing rather than them completely stopping to begin with because slowly they'll they'll get it and is there anything you would recommend for family members to do during that time when someone they love seems to be close to getting it, but not quite? 
Well, even before the alcoholic comes into the program, it's important for family members, especially those that are close to the alcoholic and have received the brunt of all the things that happen that the alcoholic does, that they attend Al-Anon meetings and start taking care of themselves because if we're not careful, we'll aid and abet the alcoholic when we think we're helping him. And it's important to understand what helps the alcoholic come to the decision. They need help and they need to be serious about it. Thank you for that perspective. You mentioned being in more than one recovery program. Can you talk about the value and necessity of being in more than one? Yes. Step 12 of AA says that we should practice these principles in all our affairs. When I was having difficulty with sexual compulsion, I tried to get help and just about everybody did not understand what I was going through and were not of help. Now uh, things have changed and there's probably more help in AA today than there has been. But I finally went to my AA sponsor and said that I was having problems with sexual obsession and I needed to get help because it was going to destroy my marriage because my wife again was going to leave me. (laughs) Um, Eventually I told her, please no more because I'm running out of days of the week, you know. But anyway, the important thing is that when I came into the program, these other programs did not exist. They started becoming available in the 80s and the 90s. That was a big time. I remember, for instance, N.A. uh, was just starting in about 1974-75. So these programs weren't available in the beginning. They are today. In fact, there's almost alphabet A out there. (laughs) But uh, the important thing is this. The same 12 steps are used in each program. However, only the first one has to do with this specific addiction. Now, why would I go to a meeting like that when all the steps are in AA? The reason is that first of all, I was in a room with people who had experienced the same things I had experienced in my sexual addiction. I didn't find anybody in AA that had or would speak up about having similar situations. So I was understood, and that's the fellowship. They were a great help. The second thing is there are specific tools that each one of these programs have that are very important and make getting sober and staying sober much easier. For instance, in DA. That's Debtors Anonymous, a 12-step program for compulsive debting and thus involving finances. We have keeping track of our spending and having spending plans and actually having meetings 
with another couple or two people from DA to go over our spending and our spending plan and what our goals are and come out of it with a plan rather than blindly going forward. So that's just one example. So it's different tools. I was really struck by the contrast from when you talked to a minister and he knew right away to send you to AA. But when you tried to talk to people about compulsive sexuality or debting, no one was sure what to tell you. The resources were either unavailable or relatively unknown, whereas today there are so many recovery fellowships available for a wide variety of addictions and other mental health issues. What's it been like to see that change? Oh, it's been wonderful. It's been beautiful because I'm seeing people putting their lives back together as a result of understanding, fellowship, and working the program and using the tools. And more are created, it seems like, every day. Right on. Well, we covered this already to some extent, but anything else you'd want to say about how you came to be in each program? <laughs> well, it's interesting because uh, in each case, my wife was going to leave me. Now, if I had not come into any recovery, our marriage would have only lasted nine years. As a result of my responding to her concerns at various times, our marriage lasted 56 years. And that's a blessing. That's a blessing that I'm grateful for. So it was kind of the same every time. That was the threshold at which action started. So all I can say is there are millions of spouses out there that have saved addicts' lives, and we're grateful for that. Thank you. Yeah, I remember my own wife saying, well, maybe it's time to go find one of those meetings. <laughs> now, something I'll point out for our audience is that it might be easy for a spouse or other family member to have the takeaway of, it's up to me to get somebody sober. But I don't hear your wife saying, you have to get sober. I just hear her setting a boundary that she won't put up with it anymore. Is that accurate? Yes. Each time. Now, you were married 56 years before your wife passed away, and for 48 of those years, you were in recovery, and she found her own recovery. Would you mind talking about that a little bit? She came into Al-Anon as soon as I came into AA and really got immersed in Al-Anon, and that was, that was wonderful because we both were growing at the same time. It's so important for the, the spouse to be in Al-Anon because otherwise the alcoholic or the addict will be growing and the spouse is not. And this is how Al-Anon got started because Lois, Bill's wife, was watching these meetings and listening to the guys and it suddenly dawned on her they're growing, they're getting better, and they're leaving us behind. So she started Al-Anon. 
That, of course, has been a blessing for everybody involved in addiction. And your wife started her recovery in Al-Anon, but it didn't end there, did it? Um, she ended up, after about six years, deciding she was an alcoholic. And so she came into the program, but it took her two years, Ken, like me, she didn't get it right away. Took her two years to finally get sober. So she actually got sober about eight years after I did. But um, it's been a wonderful life with us both being sober. We had a very good marriage until, you know, addiction started taking over and we started having difficulties. But there were times when I was not with the family when I should have been. I often talk of myself as being a thief because I had stolen time away from my family to satisfy my addiction. And so we had a good marriage and she was forgiving, but it just got too much for her. And she saved my life. One story that I tell is that when we were going together, we visited my aunt. I fell asleep on the couch and she had a serious conversation with my aunt and which my aunt explained to her that she should not marry me because I was an alcoholic. Now this is <laughs> seven years before I came in the program and she was right and she had a right to say that because she'd married three alcoholics so she knew what one was and um, I never heard about this discussion until about 10 years after we were married <laughs> but fortunately she didn't agree to not marry me so we were married and had a wonderful life most of the time there were rough bumps as there always are well, outside of preventing you from getting divorced what would you say was the biggest impact recovery had on your marriage? Oh, all sorts of things. Yes, we had our ups and downs, but every day we would have a mini discussion, or you might call it a meeting, about the program. You know, and we talk about where I was, where she was. We both had sponsees. And so we talk about that. We talk about things we had heard in the program that were helpful. We tried not to spread rumors. And um, for quite a few years, we teamed up to help people get into the program. If the man was the alcoholic, I would take him to an AA meeting and she would take the spouse to an Al-Anon meeting. If the alcoholic was the woman, she would take the woman to AA and I would take the man to Al-Anon because I had gone to Al-Anon when she was drinking so heavily and uh, it helped me so very, very much. Which means that if both of you are in the program, you should each go to at least one Al-Anon meeting uh, every week or every other week, but not less than that, because we need to have the balance. We're living with an alcoholic. 
<laughs> and we don't get that help necessarily in AA. That's what Al-Anon's about. It has nothing to do with the alcoholic. It has to do with our reaction to the alcoholic. So let's see. We set up rules. And what we set up rules were the following. Number one, we agreed not to take each other's inventory. That just solves a whole bunch of problems. And we reminded each other when it did take place. We also had a number of rules with regards to social life because we would go to a party and rule number one was always park the car where we were not blocked in, even if we had to be, you know, a block down the street. Second of all, if either one of us was uncomfortable, we gave a signal to the other and there was no argument, we immediately left. Third of all, we never let anybody else get our drink because we didn't know what was in it. Or if she brought me a drink, I knew it was safe. So these are some of the rules that we set up that were very, very helpful. That's great you were able to agree on those guidelines to protect yourselves and each other in recovery. Um, any other ideas that helped you out? Well, yeah. One was she had her program. I had mine. So we kept those separate. I didn't get into her program and she didn't get into my program. Also, she had her meetings and I had mine where we did not go together, where she could speak freely of anything she wanted to talk about. And then we would have at least one meeting a week where we'd go as a couple. And that was neat. <laughs> yeah, Kira and I go to meetings together pretty regularly, and one basic rule is that we can never comment on what the other shared at a meeting. Oh, well, that's that's given at any meeting. We're not to comment on anybody's talk. We can refer to maybe something that was said in a general way, but not specifically. Right, and I want to highlight that this applies not only during the meeting, but also afterwards. No questions like, what exactly did you mean when you said that thing at that meeting? No, 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 that's cross-talking. Yeah. Otherwise, it takes away the safety of sharing at the meeting. If you can't allow your loved one to share openly without fear of comments or unsolicited feedback from you afterwards, then you have no business going to meetings together. Tell you what, let's take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors, then we'll finish the interview. Addiction and the Family is made possible in part by you, our listeners, through the power of Patreon. If you want to help support this podcast, simply drop by our support page at patreon.com slash addictionandthefamily, or alternatively, go to patreon.com that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and search for Addiction and the Family. Any level of support helps us carry the message, and official patrons get sneak peek excerpts from my book in progress, Realistic Hope, The Family Survival Guide for Facing Alcoholism and Other Addictions. Visit our page on Patreon for details. Welcome back. 
let's finish that interview with Arnold. Are you the only person in your family tree that has had problems with addiction? No, that's not the case. My grandmother was a periodic, so I know what a periodic is. She would get drunk every three or four months, and she'd have a very bad drunk and actually go out of her mind. And uh, the next day she'd recover, and then it would be three to six months before she'd have another drink. My mother was an alcoholic, and I, I believe there were drugs involved too. And I lost her when she was 40 years old to a single automobile accident. She drove off a curve down into a ravine and uh, didn't survive. And do you know if she was under the influence of alcohol or other drugs at the time? I believe so. She was on a road she didn't normally travel. And it looks like she lost control of the car. You know, all the circumstantial evidence is there. And I've always thought that that was the case. I'm sorry to hear that. Were there any other people who struggled in your generation? There was my brother, who's 12 years younger than me. He's an alcoholic, but refuses to get help. None of them got help. I'm the only one in my family that's in AA. And that's sad. You know, you can't force a horse to drink, so to speak. But we can make them quite thirsty. And so I've tried to make my brother thirsty. However, that has not been a successful situation so far. I pray for him. He knows where the help is because he knows I'm in the program. So anyway, that's the family tree. And what effect do you think your addiction had on your own children? Well, we have two situations here. One is our, our son saw us drinking because I came into the program when he was around, what would I say? about eight years old. And I mentioned earlier about stealing time from my family. I particularly felt that I needed to make amends to him. And so uh, it it was about a year after I came into the program that I spoke to this nine year old boy and said that I apologized for not being there for him that my addiction had taken me away from him at times when he needed me. So I apologized and I said, now I'm in the program of recovery and I'm going to all these meetings. So I'm still taking time away from you. And he said something so beautifully, I had never forgotten it. He said, yes, dad, but the time that we do have today is quality time. I'll never forget that. My two daughters were born after I came into the program. So what they saw was not the alcoholic drinking. What they saw were the emotional binges that are so aptly talked about in the AA Big Book. 
And these emotional business, uh, you know, were quarrels and that sort of thing. And at that point, I was very mature because I solved all those by running away from home. <laughs> so anyway, they saw that. So I had to make amends to them as things happened. Did it affect them? Yeah, I think it affected them because of the emotional binges. I mean, families have quarrels, but I think the alcoholic takes a while to grow up as we speak and become more mature and more accepting, more forgiving. And these are all things we're taught in the program. It just takes us a while to learn them. Now, in spite of all that, my children have turned out beautifully. They're creative. They have a family. They're dedicated to their spouses. It's a beautiful thing to see. And as far as I know, none of them have an alcoholic problem. They've turned out very well. I'm really glad to hear that. Now, we talked about what kind of effect your addiction had on your children. What do you think was the effect your recovery had on them? I would say it made them aware that mother and dad were ill. We always talked about it as ill. We weren't bad becoming good. We were ill becoming well. So they were aware of that. They were aware of the meetings. Some of them went to meetings especially when they were little. <laughs> my wife would take the little one to the meeting with her. With my son, he was now a teenager, and he ended up going to Alateen. And in Alateen, I asked him one time, was it a help to you? And he said, oh, yes. He said, I was getting pressure from the other kids to do drugs and, and drink. And it was helpful to go to those meetings and get some support for not doing that. So that was a great help. And if there is Alateen in your area, you might want to check it out for your children. That's a great suggestion. And if anyone is looking for information about Al-Anon or Alateen, that can be found at alanon.org. That's A-L-A-N-O-N dot org. Now, Arnold, if you could go back and talk to yourself when you first went into recovery, what would you want to say? Oh, that I should have come into AA when my aunt told my wife that I was an alcoholic. But I was not ready. And we come into these programs when we're ready. Sometimes it takes everybody in the family sitting down with the alcoholic and melting away all the alibis to not going and getting help. Also, I would have suggested that he work harder in the early days. I see things today that I didn't see then. I'm still learning, but <laughs> I ended up taking 50 years to get where I am today, and one doesn't have to 
take 50 years to get to a good solid sobriety. These other addictions dragged on and I was in denial. There's a saying, we're only as sick as our secrets and I had secrets. I don't have secrets today. And if I had focused more on practicing these principles in all my affairs, that would have helped. But there's so many other things that the other programs are giving us that it may still have been difficult. But I know of people that have overcome their defects by doing step 12. And for our listeners who aren't as familiar with the steps, step 12 is the final step and says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all our affairs or some would say, in all areas of our lives. So as we move towards wrapping up, what would you like to say to family members who are listening to this program? Yes, without help, the family member is reacting to the addict. And therefore, their life is being driven by a sick person. And even though the addict may not be ready Please get to Al-Anon or one of the other Anon programs that's applicable to you because they're there to take care of you, not your alcoholic. And no, they don't sit there and talk about their alcoholics. They sit there and talk about themselves. And they have sponsors just like AA does. And I know my wife's Al-Anon sponsor was a tremendous help to her. You get very close with your sponsor. Just like in AA, get to as many meetings as you can, get a sponsor, work the steps, and you'll be happier. And in growth, you'll be ahead of your alcoholic. Now, what happens is the alcoholic starts realizing how sick he is or she is and starts to realize maybe they need help. So sometimes this opens the door. (laughs) I have a wonderful story about this lady, Ruby, which exemplifies Al-Anon. I asked her if she had gone to Al-Anon before her husband came into AA and she said no. I said, well, how did you cope with his drinking? And she said, oh, that was easy. If he fell asleep on the living room floor, I stepped over him. And that's what we have to do. We have rights. We get strength from each other and now on. We have responsibilities and we know what those are. And we get strength to carry out those responsibilities. Because until the alcoholic stops drinking, we're running a house. And then, of course, after the alcoholic wakes up and is in the program, all we have is a wide-awake alcoholic. Now it is time to adjust to that. So there's a big adjustment in the family after the alcoholic starts going to meetings, starts you know, waking up. So Al-Anon is something for before and after. Well, thank you so much for that. And thank you for being with us today. Anything else you want to say to our audience before we close? 
Yes, well, I thank you for the opportunity to let me share my experience, strength, and hope. These addictions, all of them, have help. And it's not a bad thing to seek help. It's a very smart thing. I wish you success and a long life and sobriety. Thank you. Thanks for being with us through another episode of Addiction and the Family. As they say in many recovery meetings, take what you liked and leave the rest. Go out and explore the possibilities for recovery in your life and give your loved ones the space and dignity to make their own choices. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe. It means a lot to us. If you know anyone else who could use what we have to offer, please tell them about Addiction to the Family. If you have comments about this podcast, have a question you'd like to answer it on the show, or want to contribute your voice, or just want to say hi, you can write to us at addictioninthefamily at gmail.com. We're also happy to be your friend on Facebook, and we can be found tweeting on Twitter. Addiction in the Family is produced, written, and engineered by Kira and Casey Ariaga, with music by Casey.